to The Bag Drop, untold stories in golf. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club, Matt Considine. Today, we welcome a very special guest. Don Brown of True Temper Sports joins us on The Bag Drop. The True Temper team will be joining members of New Club at this year's Fall Founders Cup out at Bandon Dunes. So we thought we'd have Don on the show to discuss all things golf shafts and their application to both the professional game and the games of us mere mortals. Don has a deep pedigree as an engineer, designing some of the most popular shafts that True Temper has released over the past two decades, and he is now the VP of Marketing and Innovation at True Temper. He's an all-around great dude with golf woes and triumphs just like the rest of us, and you'll get to know him real well at the end of this pod. Uh, Today's bag drop is brought to you by our friends at True Temper, the number one shaft in golf. Massive thanks to both Don and the others at True Temper for supporting New Club and the bag drop this season. Now, without further ado, on to the show. Don Brown, welcome to the backdrop. Thanks. Awesome to be here. Good to have you with us. Uh, we're doing this over Zoom today, but we're going to be together pretty soon. You gentlemen from True Temper will be joining us at our annual Founders Cup at Bandon. Uh, I don't even know. Have you been to Bandon Dunes before? It has been over a decade at least since the last time I was there. We went up, uh, we took a OEM partner of, uh, of ours there as a thank you for a lot, a year worth of good business. And uh, it was a, it was a tough trip for me. I wasn't playing my best golf at the time. And, and you know, because they were OEM partners of ours, you know, we wanted to play with all of their equipment Um they sent us full bags of their equipment to use. And so the first time I ever swung any of the golf clubs was at Bandon. Um, and uh, it's now a defunct golf equipment company, which will tell you something about the product they, quality of the product they were making. So when you're, you know, double digit, high double digit handicap with equipment you've never used facing that golf course for the first time, it was uh it was it was a rough trip. It was fun, but it was not the uh, not the kind of golf trip one hopes for. So I'm looking forward to getting some revenge on uh, on it and on the uh, Chicago area team here in a in a couple of weeks. I never, I never thought. That's right. You're well. You, you're you're the the you and I are on the same side now. There's a big controversy with myself being called Benedict Arnold moving from the Chicago team to the uh, the Ambassador Atlanta team, which you will be yeah. a part of, sir. Um, so I'll, I'll have a lot of tomatoes thrown my way. So help me out, partner. That's, that's team up. Uh, but I never thought about that with you guys, your main clients being all the big manufacturers and, and golf club, uh, companies, OEMs, do you, do you have like sets from every company? <laughs> do you have to, is that like a requirement? I don't, I don't have to, I've got sets from a lot of them. Um, my boss, who's the general manager of our golf division will also be abandoned, he literally does have a, a bag of every set of clubs from every manufacturer. And a lot of our partners are pretty good and, and give us free equipment, but there are some that don't don't. And so he has to go buy them and he'll get a discount, but you know, he's, when we don't get them for free, he's got to go buy sets. Um, we always, you know, they have the Daryl survey, which is, you know, that comes out that tells you what equipment people are playing. We always kind of joke that if you want a Daryl survey of like some of the best equipment, 
of all the OEMs for the year, go look in the shaft guy's bag because he pretty much can get whatever he wants. <laughs> so that's a, that's always kind of a running joke is if you're at an industry event and want to know what's really good, go look in the bag of the, sh- the shaft guys because they're playing whatever they want. Yeah, they're the ones that have their choice and they see it a lot, <laughs> all, all of it in, in action. Uh, well, it's it's fun having you on here uh, for the show. We're looking forward to, to banding with you guys, obviously, and your support of uh new club and this in this show here the bag drop yeah. which our listeners our loyal listeners uh tune in for each week and um you know i thought having you on i mean you're just a uh, uh encyclopedia of knowledge around around shafts and um as i have got to know you guys it's, it's a lot of curiosities about my own bag have, have been approached so i said well, instead of just hitting you with emails and texts, why don't we have you on the show to talk a little bit about golf shafts? And uh, so today we're, we're going down the gearhead uh, uh, rabbit hole, if you will. And I'm pretty pumped for it. No, it'll be good. And yeah, I hope that calling me an encyclopedia of knowledge is not a nice way of calling me old since I've <laughs> been doing this for a long time. Double, double digit decades. You know, that's not old. That's just wise. That's wise. Uh, yeah. Before, yeah. We, before yeah, we get some some of our uh, questions on on golf shafts because we did have members uh, submit some questions do surveys i did want to talk a little bit about the company and the history specifically because i uh i actually don't know that much about the history of true temper all other than as long as i've been a golfer true temper has been in my bag and been a big part of everyone else's bag <laughs> in in numbers so t- tell us like like when did the car what's the origin of the company did they always build golf shafts from day one no, I mean, the, we've been making golf shafts for over 100 years, um, you know, including making hickory shafts. Uh, obviously, we're well known for steel shafts and graphite shafts now. But, um, you know, if you, it's funny, if you go do a Google search for True Temper or an eBay search, you'll see things like axes and fishing lures and, you know, a lot of other, you know, farming equipment. And it was part of a bigger company that uh, many, many, probably three decades ago now, the golf divisions split away from, from, you know, the other divisions. But yes, I get a lot of like, Oh, Hey, true temper. I've got one of your wheelbarrows or can I get a deal on a shovel? And I'm like, well, we're not really the same company anymore, but we have been making golf shafts since, uh, 1902. Um, we've made now over a billion steel golf shafts in the history of the company. So, you know, we're, we're kind of like McDonald's with the Big Macs. We could put a big sign out in front of the factory. They just keep rolling on how many shafts we've made. Um, you know, from the graphite side, True Temper, you know, made graphite shafts themselves for a long time. Uh, right before I came on board about 21 years ago, they bought a company called Graphaloy, which uh, was very famous in the graphite shaft industry. The Graphaloy Prolite, um, you know, especially 25, 30 years ago was one of the most you know, popular ultralight shafts it was one of the first 60 gram really tour quality shafts out there. Um, and since then it's evolved, you know, we had a lot of really great Graffoli shafts, you know, for your older listeners, the Graffoli Blue, um, it's a very popular shaft. It was the first golf shaft I actually ever designed. Um, and then, you know, Henrik Stenson used it to win the the open championship, whatever that was four or five years ago. So it was, you know, it's uh, kind of funny. He won the tournament with a golf shaft that had been around for 15 years. He actually uh, signed a flag uh, for us that said, win a relic with a relic, Graffaloy blue forever. So um, we've since, uh, you know, uh, expanded into the, from a branding side into Project X. Um, 
you know, that was a really powerful brand that we acquired. Um, but it was still, you know, from a brain standpoint, I was still the guy behind it, um, which has evolved now into, you know, kind of into hazardous, which I would say is probably easily the most known and popular graphite shaft of the last almost decade now, which is makes me feel really old to know it's been around that long. And we actually just sold, we're over a million hazardous shafts sold now uh, in the Gulf marketplace, which is nowhere near, obviously, these steel shafts of one billion, but for a graphite shaft, that's a pretty good uh, milestone to hit. Wow. I, I, I knew this was going to come out on this podcast, but I've made uh, what I would call some shaft mistakes based on fandom. And one of those was trying to get that blue uh, the, the, was it Graphloid blue? The, the, Graphloid blue, yeah. I, I, I just wanted a reliable three with so bad. And I found the head I wanted in college, but I, I said, all right, I'm getting Henrik shafts. I don't swing like Henrik Stenson. And it, it was kind of a disaster for me. <laughs> I quickly got fitted and, and resolved that, but that's, yeah. I've done that too many times in my golf career to count, and I'm sure well, it'll come up. The funny, funny story about the Graffaloi Blue is it was a, I, you know, when we launched it, it was very popular on tour. We had a bunch of wins with it, but it was a very stiff golf shaft at the time. Now with the guys, you know, that are out there now where 188 mile an hour ball speed is, is, you know, a bunt. But back in the day when 170 miles an hour was just maxed out, that shaft was stiff even for those guys. So we were actually making regular flex Graffaloi Blue and putting an S with a little dot behind it on it to have, give to tour players that needed the reg flex, but would never, ever, ever show up at a PGA Tour event with a regular flex. So it was the Graffoli Blue S dot was the regular flex Graffoli <laughs> with the S flex cosmetics on it. God, I needed that dot. I That's exactly <laughs> what my ego needed that dot. Yeah. Um, what With all the innovations, in like I was looking back and just some of the uh, – you know, 19, what was it? 30, Bobby Jones wins the Grand Slam with Hickory sh shafts. He's way against, you know, the steel shaft coming in. And then uh, he, he, I think there was a period of time where they painted his his steel shafts <laughs> uh, wood <laughs> color so that it wouldn't be yeah. obvious to others because he was so staunch against it. And then like it, it, True Temper was kind of the footnote in these articles I was reading, right? And so I was curious from your standpoint, what do you think are like, the biggest uh, innovations in shafts that True Temper has uh, has made for the the golfing world, because it, every time you read about these like milestones, there there it was. It was True Temper golf shafts. Yeah, well, certainly in the world of steel golf shafts, True Temper has has been the industry leader and continues to be for over a hundred years. You know, you, we were the first. You know, we patented the step taper process, which is putting steps into a steel golf shaft, which you know, outside of Project X and a few other things, if you look at any other steel golf shaft, it's got steps in it. And that was a patented true temper process. Patents are only good for 17 years. So when you're making shafts for over 100, your patents run out and other people can can do those things. But it was a patented true temper process. Um, and then if you look at things like, you know, uh, creating dynamic gold, you know, dynamic gold came from a shaft called dynamic, but it had a pretty wide, wide uh, weight range. So realizing the kind of tolerances that, tour players needed, we started sorting them to be tighter tolerance, which then led to even tighter tolerances with tour issues. So you're talking about realizing that the best players in the game, two grams in a shaft makes a difference to them. Whereas to someone like me, maybe not so much, but for the, for the discerning equipment guys, it makes a huge difference. And then, you know, on the graphite side, certainly Grapholoid, which was its own company then, but is now part of the True Temper family, the Prolite 
3.5 was one of the first low torque 60 gram shafts. Um, the Graphoid Blue, like we mentioned, was, you know, it was right as big heads were starting to come out and big heads then were like 320 or 360 CC. Um, so the, the motto for that shaft was great for big heads and our advertisement was like a guy with a comically giant photoshopped head holding a golf club. Um, and other things like, you know, by matrix, the steel tip on a graphite shaft that Bubba Watson used for a long, long time has led into some other technologies you see now and other clubs that are graphite with a steel tip. So there's been a lot of innovation over the years from true temper, both, you know, steel, graphite, multi-material and, and, you know, even, and that stuff's led to a lot of other, you know, innovations in other sports. A lot of people don't realize we're also one of the leading manufacturers of hockey sticks. We make baseball bats. Um, we make lacrosse gear. I actually designed a skateboard that set the world record for highest jump out of a half pipe. So there's been a lot of other sports and innovations that True Temper has been involved in outside of the golf realm. Highest jump in a half pipe. I was a I was an X X Games kid. Who who uh who said I don't know, that one? You know, I don't know if you know the name Danny White, um, but he's a very he jumped the Great Wall of China on a broken ankle on a skateboard. He's he's as hardcore as they come. And so he built one of these mega ramps out in East County and was trying to set the world record for how hot, and this is high over the coping. So I think he was at like almost 30 feet over the coping, which was 75 feet above the ground. So he was a hundred feet in the air um, to do this. And, uh, but he needed a board that was lighter to get that high. So instead of his wood board, we made him a carbon fiber board that was about two and a half pounds lighter. Um, the one I have actually didn't, I guess the one I have didn't break the record because it's one he fell with. So the board <laughs> fell from a hundred feet in the air and got some dings and dents, but it's kind of cool to be part of a, an effort like that for a kid who like, you know, I skateboarded a little bit when I was a kid, but never did tricks. And then, you know, when I started working on this, I got a couple of skateboards and thought, oh, I'm going to start skateboarding to the bar or to the deli for lunch and fell twice. And, you know, when you fall when you're 12, you just bounce back up. When you fall when you're 30 something and you skin your knee a little bit, you're like, ow, that hurts. And then you feel it for a week. So my skateboarding resurgence was limited to about 10 days. <laughs> Man, the, the, uh, you know, you think the application of, of golf and golf shafts, it stops there. It's, innovation is innovation right it yeah. can apply to anything um i let's get to to some of the shaft uh questions so we went to our members and asked them yep. you know, some things they'd be curious about i think it, to start i wanted to kind of uh with the basics you know the main components of a golf shaft what would you list as the the main components of a golf shaft so, I mean, there's really, you know, if you're looking at graphite, there's kind of four main components. You've got weight, torque, flex, and then launch. So, you know, obviously weight is a pretty easy one to understand. How heavy is the shaft? Torque, how much does the shaft twist both during the swing and at impact? Flex is is really just a measure, you know, for fitting. Or do you need a regular flex or a stiff flex? But that is even, you know, within even one company's line is it's much more complicated than that because what a stiff flex for a 90 gram shaft is, is different than a stiff flex for a 140 gram shaft or a 50 gram shaft. And then launch, which is something that, you know, is really obviously now with more fitting has become more of a, a fitting component is, is this a high launching shaft? Does it launch low? How much does it spin? So those are the four.
Don, you still there? I'm still here. Yeah. Uh, sorry, man. I had a, uh, a Wi-Fi thing happen there. One network dropped, and the other one picked up. Sorry, it's it, I was downstairs, and probably when I restarted, jumped over. But uh, no we're still recording. Let's just start back with there. All right, I'll, I'll start back at components. Reed, Reed's our guy who helps us with the editing. So, Reed, thanks for your help here, brother. Um, so where I wanted to start with is the components of a golf shaft. Can you list out the components of, of the golf shaft so we kind of have a foundation for the rest of the conversation? Yeah, sure. When we're looking in your kind of base level golf shaft design parameters, there's really four. So weight, it's an obvious one, you know, 40 gram driver shaft, 130 gram iron shaft and everything in between. Um, torque, which is controls the twist both during the swing, but and also at impact. Flex, which is you know, the, the short Twitter version is that is designed to how strong the golfer is, whether it's a regular flex or stiff flex, but there's a lot more complexity and nuance to that conversation that, you know, that we can get into. And then launch, which, you know, in the new era of fitting has become much more important. You know, people need shafts that launch higher, launch lower, control their spin, increase their spin, help their stopping power. So those are the four primary characteristics when we're designing a golf shaft that we look at. The, um, it's interesting because on that on that list and and one that a lot of folks had questions on and maybe it's more of a fit it's a product of fitting and not actual manufacturing but uh, but shaft length you know when you guys are designing shafts does shaft shaft length come into to play on that? Well, we we generally always like a driver shaft is always forty six inches where the length comes into a fitting standpoint is obviously the first one is how tall the golfer is is you know you got someone who's seven foot versus someone who's five foot one there's going to be some length differences there although i will tell you that iron shafts on the pga tour 99 percent of those guys who have a varying amount of height are playing shafts within no more than a half inch difference plus or minus a quarter from what we would call standard length but obviously with an amateur golfer you get a lot of different kind of swing shapes people who are very upright bent over people who are very bent over so we're always we always build the shafts are usually two and a half to three inches over length um, to what the final length of the golf club is. And then, you know, that leaves room for the fitter too. If they need to make the shaft a little bit stiffer, they can take some off the tip. If, you know, they want to make it fly a little more, they could, you know, even install a, you know, a three iron shaft into the four iron or, and do things like we call hard and soft stepping to manipulate launch and spin. And so that's where you need the extra length. You know, if you move a longer shaft into a shorter club, or sorry, the other way around, if you move a shorter class into a longer club, which is called hard stepping, you need a little bit of extra length there to cut off and get to that final finish length. The uh, it, it's it's one thing I've I've toyed with, right? It's the length of my driver, and uh, you know, I had an old Graffalo that went to like forty seven and a half. What's the what's the legal limit? Forty eight. Legal limit was forty eight. It is now forty six, but I believe that is a local rule. So, like, if you're playing in like a mid am type, you know, a high level USGA event, they have the limit. If you are playing just you know your normal Saturday game with your boys, the forty eight is still the legal, but I believe. 46 is the new max, but like I said, I believe that's a local rule confined to upper level competition. Yeah, my my uh I better be careful if I try to pull that thing back out, but I'm, yeah, I'm on the hazards now. Not that there's bifurcation in the rules at all, but no. there's a local rule that says you can only play at 46 inch in certain levels of competition. Yeah, it's it's funny because someone told me that, you know, I was um 
that, that, that I wouldn't lo- necessarily lose distance. This is a fitter, a friend of mine that said, you know, you're not going to necessarily lose distance if you go with a shorter driver, if you do the fitting correctly. And he brought up the example of Sergio, who I think has like, doesn't he have like a 43 inch driver or something? Sergio three and a half, I think. Yeah. That's wild. Right. And, and, uh, so he's like, just, just make sure, you know, test the numbers to it. And, and I definitely picked up accuracy when I went to the, the shorter hazardous, I play the hazardous green now. And, and, um, it's, uh, it's probably standard, but the accuracy is there. And I don't think I lost any significant but ball speed. I think the thing, especially for, you know, as you, as you move away from the very low single digit handicaps or, you know, or even some single digit handicaps who just aren't consistent with the impact with the driver, if you go to a shorter driver, it helps you hit it out of the center of the face. Your average driving distance is probably going to increase. You know, a lot of people get on a launch monitor and they just look at the one drive that they hit the farthest. And so they're like, wow, man, I really squared that one up and I, you know, hit it 15 yards farther. But then if you look at the dispersion, it's like, well, I got 40 yards of front to back dispersion on six swings um, versus the other ones at front to back dispersion of 20 yards. And that average was a little farther forward. So I think a lot of people could actually benefit, especially mid to high handicaps from playing a little bit shorter driver. So you hit the center of the club face more often because the club's going a lot faster, but you smash it off the hosel. It's not going to go very far. Yeah. Yeah. Center of the club face is, is kind of trumps the other yeah. stuff. Is it? It's and certainly what, like heel, heel to center, center to heel trumps an extra inch or inch and a half of shaft length. What about last length question for you? Uh, single length clubs, right? You know, you got Bryson making it uh, popular. And it, how when that started as a, a trend, uh, what happened internally at True Temper? Are you guys like, all right, we, we already have tested, you know, something existing on these single length clubs uh, for the iron set, you know, through the bag yeah. or, or like, what, what was your guys' thoughts there? It's an interesting one. We actually worked, I actually personally, uh, I met Bryson when he was still an amateur. Um, he wanted to talk about shafts and this is actually right as he had signed with Cobra. So it was actually turned out to be a good deal for me. We were at the Memphis event and it was the week before the U.S. Open, and he just signed with Cobra, and he wanted to talk all about shafts. And so the guy who was running our tour division at the time comes over, and he's like, hey, Bryson wants to meet about shafts. I was like, sure, just let me know when. He goes, Oakmont, next Tuesday, 3 o'clock at the house he's staying at. So man, I got to go to Oakmont for the practice rounds at the U.S. Open. It was a pretty cool last-minute, not cheap trip to all of a sudden go to the U.S. Open on, I think, was six days' notice. But uh so I worked with him really extensively there and then spent a week at Cobra in their fitting studio working with him to the point where I had to finally be like, hey, can I just get a Cobra badge so I can get through the lobby back to the bathroom and, and then back to the fitting studio? So I have to ask somebody to walk me back there every time. Um, and But, you know, the thing with a lot of the single length stuff that they had to overcome is especially at the top of the bag, it kind of is like your four iron, your five iron, your six iron, all end up going a similar distance just on different trajectories for a lot of, you know, amateurs, especially mid-handicappers. So it becomes a shaft question of, you got to do something with the shaft to help four irons, five irons get up higher in the air to get that extra carry when you're swinging everything at the same length and you're just altering the loft of the, of the club. So we did some work on that. Um, you know, we don't met, just candidly, we don't make a lot of the shafts that go into the, the single leg sets that are out there in the marketplace, but that's kind of some of the things we had to look at when we were uh, potentially working on those programs. 
It's, it's a, just a fascinating, you can't tell if it's a fad or not. Do you think it's a yeah. fad? Do you think it's something that has legs? Um, you know, I think it, there's certain people it works for. I got a good buddy who, um, I played, been playing golf with him for 30 years. Um, and he, he hits driver and I'll say 25 times in a round, like driver off the deck is and he'll hit driver off the deck like 110 yards. He just likes that's like a little punch shot, a lot of short par threes, nothing more annoying in the world when you miss the green with a nine iron and your buddy steps up and hits a little bunt driver, 121 yards to, onto the green. But, um, he had one club he loved. And so I got him a set of single length irons to, to mess around with. So I think there's a certain population that it can work for, but I think for new golfers, if you learn that way, it's something you can can work off of. I think if you've got a lot of experience with a you know five iron that's three inches longer than your sand wedge, I think that would be a hard thing to relearn. Yeah. Let's move to uh, to weight because this is another area that I think I've personally screwed myself up in the past. Um, I think so. I, I remember having a seventy five or seventy two or seventy five gram driver that I just uh, loved. I think it was the the old like Titleist J head in it. Maybe I up updated it with the R, but both were heavier shafts and um, started to try to chase some speed. This is me as a more naive younger man, but trying to chase some speed and seeing my teammates playing sixty gram shafts. And so I went down to a sixty gram shaft, and I remember in my driver, I, it was like a bad. It was just a bad move. <laughs> like yeah. it really, it really screwed me up. And and at that time, I thought lighter would be faster, right? Is lighter faster, Don? Lighter is technically faster because you can, you know, you can move. Uh, I guess if we're going to do total club mass, five hundred grams faster than you can move five hundred and fifteen grams in theory. Like it's no different than if we put you on a bench and we gave you a hundred and forty pound barbell and a hundred and thirty five pound barbell. You can move the hundred and thirty five one faster because it's lighter but there's a lot of things that come with that there is well and the other thing is like you're not swinging all out every time you go so if you think about when you make a golf swing especially for you know a better player like you you're probably moving your hands at the same rate of speed regardless of what driver i put in your hands unless we give you a hundred something gram you know difference um so for a better player you know you're you're not if you're swinging your hands whatever, you know, 80 miles an hour every time, which leads to 140 mile an hour club head speed, unless you take the lighter club and then actively try to swing it faster, you're not going to notice a difference. Now, a lot, you know, higher handicaps, they are kind of swinging at it as hard as they can every time. Or if it's you and you're like, I want my out of my shoes ball to go farther. Uh, when I hit that one, that's where the lighter weight can come in. But if you're, you know, like, again, like a better players with a controlled swing, you know, you're not going to see a huge difference from going from 75 to 60. Now, it might affect your tempo because, you know, the energy you got to put in to start at the top is going to change with the difference in weight. And obviously throwing off your tempo is a, a bad start to a good golf swing. So that's, again, where people are going to see more of the difference. It's just the static weight in your hands as you're waggling it. And, you know, if you're standing over the ball and the club feels heavier, that's going to make you think you have to swing it harder. Yeah, it's it's it, interesting. It, it makes me jump to the next component, which is flex, um, because I've always struggled in fittings. I think when I knew what the flex was in my club, does that make sense? Like, there's there's a, a swing speed and a tempo that I've always, I don't know. I I can hit a regular club, 
or, or like a, you put a hickory in my hand, for example, which yeah. has more softness to a feel. And I'm just going to swing at a different tempo. And so I always struggled with that in my head of like, you know, how's this fitting going to work? Cause I'm changing my swing. I know I'm changing yeah. my swing, but like that's just jump to flex. Like what is the biggest impact on, on flex to the, to the golf shot? So flex is, I mean, it really is how much you load the shaft and how much energy you're putting into the shaft and then getting back out of it. It also is a tempo or a, a tempo or a feel thing. Like if somebody's a very smooth, even tempo, like they can have a lot more variation in flex without noticing. Whereas if you're really aggressive from the top and you get something that's loose, you're going to feel the club lag and you're going to try to make a correction in the downswing. Um, to it, or if it's really stiff and you like to feel the head move, you're going to you know snap your wrists and and try to get the the club head moving forward. So, um, but again, you know, like if you see really smooth swingers, you know, like Freddie Couples, I think famously had like a three wood with a ladies flex shaft that he bought in a bargain bin somewhere that he could hit just as far as he could any other three wood because he was so smooth that that didn't matter to him. But you know, flex is a lot about finding the right the the right fit for performance, but also feel for you in the downswing. So, you know, you so you don't feel like the club's whippy because that always leads to bad things. You know, the grapholoid fitting motto is always play the softest flex you can control. So, you know, if you ever gone out with a ladies flex shaft, it feels, you know, when you center it up, you, you know, feels like the ball's going forever. But when you're at the driving range with that, you also hit some over onto the freeway and some out into the parking lot and, you know, potentially the guy standing next to you. So, a quick rule of thumb is play the softest flex you can control. So th then is it like, I'm trying to think of some different tempos, but you got Freddie, you know, super smooth. And then, you know, a Nick price, right. Who is yeah. like his, what do you call that at the top of the swing? Is that the load or is that yeah, the load of the transition? Yeah. Yeah. That transition point is it comes quicker, right? So he's yeah. going to, he's going to have a much stiffer flex than, than yeah. Freddie. Yeah, and it was because, you know, he's got the club's got who can't if he played the ladies flex that Freddie would play when he started that downswing, the club would bend so much and get so out of plane that he would, especially like him, is going to feel that and try to compensate for it. So it's a funny thing because I feel like if, um, it's a big ego driven thing in golf, right? You're the, yeah. the stiffness of your and I just I can't like this happened recently where someone was just, you know, digging through a bag. We're waiting on a par three. They're like, Oh, you, you know, you swing pretty hard. You don't play an X, you know, it's like kind of like a, what you can't handle an X shaft. And I was just, no, and that's, there's definitely a ton of that. Like I, so we have that, the shaft you're playing, I think is the Hulk, the smoke green, the green yep. PVD with the blue, very cool looking golf shaft way out of my league. And even the regular flex is too stiff for me. Yeah, I have some advantages I have in the job I have is I have a batch of the shaft I play done up with the green PVD with the blue tip Hulk cosmetic. So I can look like I'm playing the Hulk and have the cool cosmetic, even though I'm playing the mid launch, mid spin 60 gram shaft. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We, we you guys should sell that. Call it the, the ego package, you know, you can, yeah. you can get it doctored up if you need to look good at the club. Um, yeah. Flex. That's, that's interesting. Is there, uh, uh, I guess we're, we've got torque and launch left. There's more questions I want to get to, but let's start with torque. Give us like the kind of the main pieces that people don't think about when it comes to the torque, which is a huge factor, right? Well, it, torque is a huge factor, especially in feel. Um, and torque always is kind of, it's one of those things that sets the price of a golf shaft in a lot of cases. Um, you know, people are like, oh, that shaft's 
3.2 degrees of torque, it's more expensive, which it is more expensive to make a low torque shaft. And But if you made a really good golf shaft that was five degrees of torque, the, the super gearheads would turn their noses up like, oh, five degrees of torque, that's a cheap shaft. And my the analogy I always kind of make is like, think about like the high-end Mustang that's like 450 horsepower engine in it. It's like, but you're just driving to the grocery store, man. You don't need 450 horsepower. You're not going to get out of third gear. So it's a little bit of that, like where horsepower is what people pay for when they're buying a car, even if they're never going to take advantage of it. So torque is really about feel. If you're a someone who misses the center of the base a lot um, and you hit it in the heel a bunch, like lower torque is going to make the shaft feel bad. It's going to feel harsh. It's not going to you know, feel good at impact. Conversely, if you hit it out on the toe a lot and you have a high torque shaft, it's going to feel like the face is whipping open and you're going to be flaring it right. But the thing is, we've done a bunch of high speed tests. We made a like 3X long drive shaft with 10 degrees of torque and hit it out on the toe with 180 mile an hour ball speed. And the face literally spun open 90 degrees. So the face was 90 degrees to the how it started. But the golf ball is 30 yards down range before that club face twists a tenth of a degree. So it would feel like that's going to shoot the ball way off to the right. But in fact, it, the ball is already long gone by the time the club face starts twisting open. So it does have some effect on things like closure rate and how fat, you know, where the club face, the face angle is at impact. But at you know, the end of the day, it's not affecting the ball flight nearly as much as anybody thinks it might. And in fact, if you hit it in the center of the club face, the club doesn't twist at all because the the force of the impact is going directly through the center of the mass of the driver. So there's no twist in that instance. The club just moves straight back. And so in theory with that, if you're hitting in the center of the face every time or you gave it to a robot, the robot wouldn't care what the torque was because you're hitting in the center of mass every time. And so that's the fourth component being launch. It launches definitely the uh, like more buzzword now of anyone that's kind of chasing speed right is that get your launch right what's your launch angle you know with all the sims that our members we go to now in the winter time we're always looking at that like oh look at that launch and um what is good launch you know for for the individual player like what is good launch well and good it's it's optimum launch like and you can go find this i don't have it in front of me but do a google search and you know a couple of the launch monitor companies have this out there What's good launch and spin for me is not going to be good launch and spin for you. And what's good launch and spin for you is not going to be good launch and spin for Keith Mitchell or any of these other guys with 190 mile an hour ball speed. Although I hear you're a pretty good player, so maybe you're in the Keith Mitchell range. But um, but it's it's different for everybody. Those, you know, but in general with the driver, higher launch, lower spin is better. Um, And it also depends on the kind of player you are and where you're playing. Like, you know, you see a lot of people hit, will have a club and without looking numbers like, oh, I'm hitting this too high. But if it's someone who never hits a fairway, like all you should be concerned about is how far you carry the golf ball. Because if the golf ball is landing in the rough every time, it's going to land and stop. If you're someone who's landing in the fairway every time, then you're like, okay, I'm going to, this is going to land in the fairway and I'm going to want some rollout. So it depends a lot on the golfer you are. I don't hit a ton of fairways. So all I'm worried about is how far the ball is going to fly. Cause that's, for me, carry and total distance isn't much different. If you hit a lot of fairways, you know, my dad doesn't swing it really hard, but he never misses a fairway. For him, a little bit lower landing angle and long, which comes with lower launch angle is important because he's going to get a lot more rollout on those shots. So that's one thing is you got to know your game. You're like, hey, I hit a don't hit, ever hit the fairway. Okay, 
uh, launch it high and carry it as far as you can because you're never gonna you're never gonna get that rollout. Or you're gonna get the rollout on three holes and you're gonna get stuck up in the rough on eleven. So on those eleven holes, it's gonna help you to fly it farther. It's so interesting. I hear you say that because this is what crosses my mind is I, I'm a high ball hitter and we were coming out of the winter and I'm hitting in the uh, simulators, you know, perfect lies, everything. And, and I'm, I got a high, I have a high launch. Uh, but then my first kind of rounds of golf this year were played overseas in Scotland yeah. and, and we had a big trip and I was there for three weeks and I was playing and the first week it was like, you know, I was just getting destroyed by the wind. I was getting yeah. out driven by guys that I usually drive the ball by, you know, 30 yards and, yeah. and it was starting to get under my skin. So by the end of the trip, I really brought that launch down in my swing, not really, yeah. obviously not changing my equipment. I didn't even crank the driver or anything like that. Um, but I, I, but I just did. And, and it was running for days. And then I come back and, uh, I, I remember playing with somebody on a really wet day and he's like, well, your launch is so it's low, man. What, what's, what's up? And he's out driving me by 20 yard. Cause it's, you know, soggy us, us yeah. Midwest soil. And, uh, it's, it's a funny thing that you can, you can uh, adjust, but then like, I don't know, I guess to your point, it's, if, if you go through a fitting and you have to make those decisions, you know, if you're playing, uh, abandoned every day, yeah. like, you might want to think about your launch. Yeah. I think, I mean, the important thing I think for anybody who's going to fitting, or even if you're just, you know, you're at, you know, the five iron golf or someplace with a simulator where you're, you're trying to dial something in yourself. My advice would be look at the carry distance. Don't look at the total distance because you're talking about rollout, which brings into you know the fairway difference. You know, you're playing in Texas, you're playing in Scotland, you're playing in Chicago. Um, look at your carry distance because that is really the bellwether of your launch and spin conditions is how far you carry the golf ball. You know, the other thing is everyone's in there trying to, you know, and people maybe even switching golf ball to try to max, you know, maximize driver distance. And then they can't hold a freaking green with a nine iron. Um, and so then, you know, then it's like, well, well, now what am I supposed to do? So like we actually, one of the new products we have coming is, and it's out on tour, it's called Dynamic Gold Mid. So Dynamic Gold X100 is the most popular shaft in the history of the PGA Tour. It's still used every week more than pretty much every other shaft combined it usually is up around 50 percent of the field but you got all these tour players who've been chasing distance because you have to so they're going you know changing golf balls to get this you know low spin with a driver and now all of a sudden you know for these guys it's the ball's landing and rolling out 10 feet or 15 feet which is a lot for them versus me it's you know nine iron on the front of the green that goes out the back and down the hill and into a creek um but for them it's still that's not an acceptable you know, landing onto a green. They want to be able to fly something in there, have it bounce once and stop. And so Dynamic Gold Mid is actually a shaft we designed to give those guys that have reduced their iron spin because of what they were doing with the driver to give them some spin back in the uh, in the irons um, so they can hold greens better. So that's kind of the other thing you got to look at is by messing around with your, especially if you're messing around with the golf ball, what have you done? Maybe messing around with the golf ball to get more driver distance and you may have completely screwed up the other, which is really more shots that you're going to take with your irons and your wedges by straightening out or getting a little more out of your driver. Interesting. Yeah. Starting to adjust to the, the chase for speed, the need for speed. Yeah. Um, steel versus graphite in, in uh, specifically irons and wedges, right? What, why uh, I, iron is still, you know, so far the, the, uh, the winner in that category when it comes to irons and wedges in, and by a, a considerable margin, but you do start to see some, you know, PJ pros put in the bag LPGA. I think you'll see more, you know, the graphite shafts and, um, 
why why is it that you know steel has has had this run of ter- of of dominance for so so yeah. long and and do you ever see that paradigm shifting will graphite shafts be be someday in the future like the predominant shaft you see in a golf uh, a golf bag I don't see it not at the tour level um you know and it, I've been like I said I've been doing this now for almost 22 years and the the graphite is coming to the tour thing has been going on for 22 years and I guarantee you if I pull up the Daryl survey from this week, the number of guys playing graphite iron shafts is maybe four. If it's a good week, five, one of those guys uh, is paid by LA golf. And so he's obviously going to play graphite iron shafts because he's paid for a part, you know, owner of the company. So, you know, it, it's just never take really taken off. And the, the thing about it is, is, you know, you can make lighter shafts with graphite. There's some more design freedom there. But when you buy graphite material, it's it's made up of carbon fiber and epoxy resin. And those two things are mixed together. Well, there's a tolerance to, okay, is this, you know, is this material we're using 30% resin, which is the target? Or did it come in a little light, 28% resin or a little heavy, 32% resin? And so, or in carbon fiber itself, it's got a little bit of variation just because of the way it's made and how stiff it is and and what flex you get. So you could cut carbon fiber off the same exact roll, make two shafts at the same exact time, right side by side. And there's going to be some variation between those two shafts. I'm a, and I designed carbon fiber shafts and I have for 20 years, but my degree's in metallurgy. So I, I know I'm very well versed in the difference between two materials. Steel is steel is steel doesn't matter if you know when we do all the properties we do in the plant we're changing the the strength of it so whether or not it bends or whether or not it breaks but we're not changing how stiff it is and it doesn't matter if it's 4140 or 6150 or any of the other alloys you might hear out there stiffness is stiffness and so we make you a 132 gram shaft out of steel and then we make you another 132 gram shaft out of steel it's the same stiffness properties of the material every time and so, especially with irons where you're, you know, what you're concerned with is consistency and especially, you know, uh, especially front to back, like everyone always thinks trajectory, you know, left to right. I don't want to miss it left to right, but with an iron shot, long or short is just as bad as a left to right. So the fact that with steel iron shafts, especially for the better players, we can, they can trust it to be more consistent front to back and set to set. Like I got a set of X100s, my new irons this year, and I get a set of X100s, my new irons next year. It's the same material. Whereas if you got a graphite iron shaft this year versus next year, there's going to be some, there's a chance it could be not exactly the same shaft. What graphite does come into play is we can make it a lot lighter. You know, talk about like on the the LPGA uh, steel fiber, which is another company we own, hugely popular. At one point in time, I think we had three or four of the top five female players in the world using that, but it's at 85 or 95 grams. Now we can make steel shafts that light, but they tend to be a lot softer, a lot higher launching, don't necessarily give the control that that caliber of player needs. And so that's where graphite comes in into play. The other thing is just a lot of feel. Like if you're a if you're a feel player and you want to know, like, hey, I'm missing this shot a little bit on the, the heel or a little bit out on the toe, steel vibrates and is going to give you that feedback. And especially like if you talk about some of the 125, 130 gram graphite that's out there. If I blindfolded you and you hit a shot, you would have no idea where on the club face you hit it. It just, the graphite dampens the vibration so much. Kind of like we talked about, it's like hitting a ball with a dead fish. You have no idea where on the club face you hit it. So the better players that want need heavier shafts that want that feedback tend to migrate towards steel. 
that's a uh thank you that that was enlightening because it kind of leads to my next question on two of your specific steel shafts so dynamic gold and project x i think i know the answer to this but and i don't know if i'll like it but <laughs> but uh what are the different profiles of a player that plays uh dynamic gold versus project x project x and dynamic gold are really kind of two roads to the same final destination um project x was actually designed before we owned uh before we bought the company that made project x and it's called it was called project x because the x was supposed to be x100 so it was their way of trying to attack dynamic gold x100 which is again the most popular shaft in the history of professional golf and so they were looking for something that had very similar performance characteristics to x100 because if you're trying to take down x100 and you go hey this hits it lower or higher like well no x100 hits it where i want to hit it so give me something that performs like x100 so they are two different paths to a similar solution. The main difference is, you know, if you look at dynamic gold, if you were to line your shafts up on the wall, you'll see the distance to the first step from the top of the club changes as you go through the set. Project X, if we were to leave steps in it, the distance to that first step is the same throughout the entire set. Um, again, you get very similar results. Project X probably spins a little bit less in some of the, in the long irons, but the other thing is in the short irons, man, does it feel stiff. Like I always tell people, if you're going to, if you're interested in Project X, you've got to find, try to find some place where you can hit an eight or a nine iron because it's going to be a telephone pole uh, in those particular clubs. Just again, because of the, the way the design was done, it's extremely stiff in the short irons. I, when I was preparing to chat with you, I, I thought about uh, the innovations of of golf shafts, but the innovations that had made the biggest impact on my game. And I remember seeing it. My the biggest was when I got fitted for Project X. When I jumped from Dynamic Gold to Project X, I remember that summer very clearly because I became a very good uh, mid iron player and long iron player. All of a sudden, like it was it was noticeable, and I and I've never gone back since. I've always been Project X, um, and it's just the thing that I said. I don't know if I'd like your answer. Is I also consider myself to be a field player, but it just seems like every field player. I know the real, probably a real field player is playing the X 100s. Cause like tiger, like he never played anything else, but the dynamic gold X 100. So, um, would you, is that probably a proper classification though? If you swing with a little bit more pace and, and, um, I don't know, muscle player, you're going to be playing the project X. And if you're more of a field player, you like to feel the, the shaft move a little bit, that'd be the dynamic gold. I think with project X is probably just a little bit more, you, you can put a, some different swings on it and get a similar performance because, and it can hold up better just because it can be so stiff, especially in the short irons. Like if you just go up to take a mighty, mighty lash with an eight iron, because it's so stiff, it can hold up a little bit better than dynamic gold can. Um, dynamic gold does tend to, it has more feel to it. Um, again, project X, because it's so stiff, if you miss it somewhere on the club face, you're going to feel it a lot more than you will with the dynamic gold. Um, but you know, if you, again, if you look, Dynamic Gold X100 is the number one shaft on the PGA Tour weekend we got, and number two is Project X. And those guys are chasing this kind of the same, chasing exactly the same result. Um, yeah. If you you know if you had a, a robot that didn't have things like feel, and you gave them just swap the shafts in and out, you wouldn't see a huge amount of variation in the ball flight between those two. Let's do uh, fitting a little bit. Uh, I I 
um, got fitted for a driver last year, although I didn't go to me, there's like the two worlds of fitting. There's kind of like your, your baseline fitting. And then there's like the super, you know, in depth, uh, more club champion esque, uh, at least in our neck or club champion type fittings. What, what, what's your, uh, thoughts on as an engineer, as someone that's built these things, like, what do you want to see out of someone getting in, in their fitting? Does it, um, let's go with that. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously the goal of all fittings is to optimize launch and spin. But I think there is something where when you go in and optimize launch and you can optimize launch and spin and have a golf club that you're not comfortable over or doesn't feel right in the downswing and you're hitting 10 balls in the simulator. You're like, yeah, this is good. Look how far my seven iron's going. And then you get on the golf course, you're like, man, this feels awful. Or I don't like looking down at it. I mean, there's so much like, you know, again, as a 14 handicapper who struggles leaving the ball out to the right, I could probably benefit from some super game improvement irons with a lot of offset and a thick top line, but I can't stand to look down at it. You hand me those and I look down and I'm not comfortable with the golf ball, which is way worse than thinking about like, Hey, am I hanging this out to the right? Aim a little bit left. And so, uh, you know, I play, you know, either a lot of times you know, a pro model iron or a, a you know, a, a tour model iron, which is again, not all the technology I need, but I'm way more comfortable looking down at that club over the golf ball. And so I think that's more important. So I think don't just get caught up in the numbers, you know, when you're, you're in there and don't be afraid to tell the fitter, like, yeah, these numbers may be good, but this looks funny to me, or I hate the color green. And I don't want to look down at a green driver shaft every time, you know, it's like, Oh, it doesn't matter what it looks like. Well, if, when you're standing over the ball, if you're not thinking about taking a good shot, you're thinking about, can't believe I got talked into this green golf shaft. Like those are not the kind of thoughts you want coming into your head while you're standing over the ball. Yeah, here's one of our uh, members out of Atlanta, Teddy Brown. He says, uh, where can iron fittings be better? Uh, having gone through fittings many times over the years, there's always a significant emph emphasis on my driver. Um, however, for irons, most of the emphasis seems to be on the physical club head, the lie angle, etc. Uh, the set, the shaft almost seems secondary. Is there any major concerns uh, around flex, weight, not much, um, or things beyond that? Uh, it feels that my fitters might be shortchanging the technology in my iron shafts, which go into more than half my clubs. I think that's a good question because I, I do kind of uh, agree with them there in the terms of this things I've been through. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things that play there and to borrow maybe an outdated phrase, but chicks dig the long ball. So, you know, people go in and they, they just get an average with, I want to hit my driver farther. And that on the golf course is kind of like, you know, regardless of who you're playing with is always kind of the, the measuring effect, man, I just got that just got person roped in by me by 50 yards and, you know, and then they may get up and miss the green by a bunch and you get up there and hit a six iron on and make your putt and make a birdie or make two putts and make par and they're over hacking it out of the weeds, but that's what everybody gets enamored with. So, you know, it's an easier sell. Like if you're, someone's going in to do a fitting and someone's like, Hey, I can get you 10, 15 extra yards on the driver, or, Hey, I can get you 300 more RPM with your eight iron. Which one are people going to be more excited about? It's just, yeah, distant cells. And so, but I think with the irons, you know, I think what I just mentioned spins, the important one, you know, you can look at distance. I'm hitting this one farther. Um, but there's some tricks there about, okay, well, this seven iron is really the loft of a six iron. So you're hitting farther and you're landing and landing it flatter. So now you're hitting this seven iron into the green that's landing really flat and it's not going to hold the green. And that's something I really struggled with. Uh, you know, I switched to a, a, a new club in the last two years, a new golf club and, you know, really fast, really hard greens. And I really struggled where I'm, I'm hitting eight iron 
and I'm landing on the front of the green and it's an elevated green and it rolls out the back. Well, I don't know. What am I supposed to do? If I hit nine iron to launch it higher and spinnier, I'm going to come up short of the green. The ball is going to roll back to my feet. So I think iron fitting, you know, there's a lot weight material flex are important and loft and lie are extremely important. I mean, when you're doing a fitting for that, like you could have the perfect club setup, but if the heel's digging in because the line goes off, doesn't matter how good that club is for you. But I think looking at what your, you know, your spin rates are and your landing angles with irons is what's really important. And that's, you know, again, we, this new dynamic gold mid product we have um, compared to original dynamic gold. And even in the lighter weights, like a lot of your, you know, the listeners here who, you know, maybe have dynamic gold 95 or 105, um, some of our lighter ones, which are not the same telephone poles and beasts that the, the tour parts are this new one launches and spins even more. So with a robot, it um, launches about a degree higher and spins about 500 RPM more. And to give you an idea, about every club, so from a seven to an eight iron, you go up about a thousand RPM. So 500 RPM and a degree of launch is more or less kind of a half of a club in, you know, in, in launch and spin, which is going to help you hit the ball, stop it faster. You know, I've been, I switched to these dynamic gold mids out of our project X IO shaft. And it's in terms of holding greens, it's been pretty drastic. Like I hit shots now, now I'm on the other side where I hit it and it lands by the flag and comes back. And I was like, no, I don't hit shots that, that spin. I hit shots that land and, and roll out. So it's been an adjustment, but I think that is, is definitely one of the things in an iron fitting that you want to look at is descent angle and, and spin rate. So you can hit a ball into a green that stops because you know, that's distance control hitting into a green is, is more important than distance control, you know, hitting it off the tee. Here's another good question from uh, a member out of Chicago, Justin Shellman. He's uh, he's a good player, and he says that uh, he's getting new wedges and wants to match the shafts in his wedges to his other clubs. Should they be the same profile, or should they be lighter, spinnier? What's the best advice you have for someone who's getting into a, a new set of irons? Or I'm sorry, new wedges. I think it depends on what you want to do with the wedge. So like for me, I don't ever take half swings or open up the face or do anything with my gap wedge outside of, I need something that's 10 yards shorter than my pitching wedge. It is a full swing club. No different. I actually just play. I recently, maybe a year and a half ago, gave up on having the cool, you know, dedicated gap wedge. That's a, you know, a not match my set. And I'm like, you know what? I just swing this like I do the pitching wedge of the nine iron. Why wouldn't I want exactly the same club and technology? And even in terms of gapping, like this is set up to gap off the pitching wedge, which is what I need. Um, so in that club, I play the exact same profile because I'm making the same kind of swing. Um, you know, 56 and 60, those for me, are, you know, I'm hitting a lot more finesse shots. So um, they're di- I want different things out of them. So where I play right now, I play, it's the prototype type of our new dynamic gold 100 uh, mid it's a hundred gram iron shaft which i think is probably the lightest iron shaft i've played in my career but i still play dynamic gold s400 in my 56 and 60 because i want something a little heavier i want something that kind of controls my tempo i don't want a really light sand wedge that when i'm trying to hit a delicate shot or a lob wedge when i'm trying to hit a flop that i might lose control over a little bit because it's lighter i want that heavier club that is you know that's reliable and consistent uh, around the greens. Last uh, member question for you here. We, we've gone through the bag, so I feel like I got yeah. a hit on this one. Uh, Chris Scafidas, uh, San Diego ambassador, actually, who is huh. now on the Chicago team. I think he just moved to Chicago, back to Chicago. 
He asks, um, are fancy, expensive putter shafts worth the investment? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on there's some of the technologies that will tell you are pretty good. I think in some of them, maybe not so much. Uh, there's, you know, uh, one out there that is a very lightweight, it's a stock shaft and a particular very popular OEMs putter. And what they're doing with that is they're making an extreme, that shaft is very light, much lighter than uh, a steel shaft would be. And so they're putting extra weight in the butt and then the grip, which has some MOI benefits. So it's a weight distribution thing. So they're taking advantage of the properties of a light graphite shaft to move mass around. Um, if you look at some of the other ones, if you're up at 130 grams, um, you know, and you see people talk about, I go, oh, this, our putter shaft is this much stiffer than a steel shaft. Well, you know, when you're making a 10 foot putt, the shaft's not deflecting a whole bunch. It's not, it's not doing a lot. So, um, there's some feel differences for sure. And, you know, with putting, everything is feel. So you might find some feel like, Hey, this feels more stable and it feels stiffer. And therefore it makes me more confident standing over a putt. But, you know, you're, unless you're one of these places where it's a double green and you're hitting a hundred yard putt from the wrong hole, you know, there's not a ton of deflection going on in the shaft. Um, so in those instances, I think there's not necessarily the, not necessarily the benefits you would see in a $350 putter shaft that you might see if you were spending that kind of money on a driver shaft, for instance, I would take, take, take that money and go spend it on an iron shaft fitting. All <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where the, the science is going to have a big, big impact. I love that. Well, probably better on a putting, a couple of putting lessons. Yeah. Uh, rather than change the putter shaft, you know, find your local pro and throw no, no, no. him and no, no, no. It, it's all the arrow here. This is not the Indian. I know it. Um, the uh, I love how many of the answers, Don, are are related to feel and tech. I think that's one yeah. really cool thing that um, you know, nuance to our game that we all love is that yes, infused with so much technology now, but it don't mean nothing if you don't have the feel to it and everything is kind of in that continuum between feel and tech. I, I just, I just love that about the game. Well, it's such a mental, and I even to get into sound, like, you know, there's certainly been drivers through the years that like, you know, there's a square driver in the past that sounded like somebody was hitting a metal trash can with a baseball bat. And if that's your club and you're, you know, you're a driver and you're all subconscious about it or, you know, think about like, Again, you don't want to be thinking about that as you're swinging, like, oh, man, this is going to be really loud. Is the guy in the next tee box over going to be mad? Am I bothering people at the range? Like, so, I mean, and some people wouldn't care and some people would worry about that. So, again, I think when you're getting fit for equipment, it can't, it's not just the performances. Are you comfortable swinging this golf club? Is it something, you know, that when you look down at it, you know, you're happy about it and you, you trust it, so. Uh, the sound of a golf club. On Monday night, I went out to our local Muni to, you know, twilight round. Uh, it's like 10 bucks, play nine holes after the leagues are finishing up. Yeah. And, and there's a group coming up to the tee and they said, you want to join us? I said, sure. Let's, you know, get it in before dark. And, uh, he goes, wait till you hear my guy's, um, sound of his putter. And I was like, oh yeah, which one? And there's, cause there were, there were a foursome. I was going to be the fifth. And he goes, you'll know. And on that first screen, I've never heard a putter like this. I mean, it sounded like the dinner bell had just rung when he hits it in the center. I go, what century is that thing from? And who makes it? Uh, it was a. Well, I mean, that's the story behind ping. The reason ping is called ping is because the original answer putter made a pinging noise when it was, you know, when you hit it. So that's that's where that name comes from. Acoustics matter in the game. Well, uh, oh, last thing. Um, shaft myths. 
I think you def defunct a few of my own today, just kind of talking through it. But are there any myths about golf chefs that you hear that kind of crack you up every time you hear them? There's a couple. I mean, one is to think that, you know, uh, changing the shaft is going to change your spin rate by anything more than 500 degrees is, is not true. Like if you're hitting it, if you're launching it 10 with 3,200 RPM, you're not going to get that down to 2000 RPM just by changing the driver shaft. I mean, that's a, you either got to change the head, change your swing, change the ball, something else. You're going to have to change other things. And that's the other thing about a fitting is it's a system. Like if you go get fit and you're hitting rock hard range balls and you do your fitting off of that, and then you're playing a different, you know, obviously not playing a range ball on the golf course, that fitting was all for not. And so that's one of the biggest things we say, you go get fit. And if it's somewhere where they're just fitting you with range balls or whatever they have, bring a box, two boxes of your own ball. Um, even if you're hitting them down range, like it's probably worth losing, you know, $50 in golf balls on a $800 purchase, just to, even if it's the last couple of shots, just to verify, um, that that's the right club system for you, because it is a system of, you know, shaft head and, and golf ball. Um, yeah, you know, the, the other myths that uh, we can't make graphite as stiff as we can make a steel shaft. That's not remotely true. Graphite is actually pound for pound way stiffer than steel. So I can make you probably a 60 gram driver shaft that's just as stiff as 130 gram steel shaft. It would feel awful, but I I, I could make it for you. So um, that's one of the other kind of big myths that out there, you know, we talked, we touched on torque. Low torque is not necessarily better for everybody, better for direction. Um, I don't play low torque shafts because I miss it in the heel a bunch and it just feels bad, which gets back to the whole, like, you know, you don't want to ever stand over the golf ball dreading the buzzer coming up your the shaft when you hit it out of the heel. So, yeah, those are good. Those are good. Well, I got one last thing for you. We call it the 19th soul. Uh, I'll get you through this and then let you out of here. But since you're going to be with such a, uh, esteemed group of, of members for our founders cup, you know, let's get to know you a little bit more. So this is what we adapted, uh, 35 questions from Marcel Proust, the French novelist, and one of the most influential authors of the 20th century, his questions attempted to reveal the truest nature of an individual. Don Brown, our questions are intended to reveal the soul of the golfer. Are you ready for the 19th soul? I am ready. Question number one, when and where were you the happiest as a golfer? I have to pray, you know, probably, I won't say standing on number one at Pebble because that scares the crap out of you and there's a bunch of people watching, but, you know, just being out at an iconic golf course, I only got to play it for the first time maybe three or four years ago. So having been a golfer for 20 plus years and in the industry for that long, just, and it was a beautiful day. So just being out at that place, um, my first time I played there, I parred all the par threes. So I think, you know, that was a, a good feeling for me. I didn't play particularly well, but being able to walk off, you know, knowing that I parred all the par threes and actually I'm a 15 handicap. I parred 16, 17 and 18 to, uh, to win my match. So, you know, to be that level of golfer and play that well in those kind of iconic three holes was a pretty good feeling. Number two, what's the scariest golf shot? Also Pebble Beach, that first round, I think it's 13. I'm a terrible bunker player, and I'm in the bunker on the left side of that green, looking at a house that's got a, that's got floor to third ceiling windows that have to probably be $20,000 a pane. And I'm looking at that knowing that I blade the ball out of the bunker all the time. And if I hit this into this house, that piece of glass is coming down. That is the scariest shot I've ever had to hit. Maybe, maybe Jim Nance or someone similar comes out and say, hey, is this your... Uh... 
I believe I actually just turned 45 degrees and just kind of made a weak attempt to pitch it back down the fairway. I'm like, uh, the chance of me hitting a good bunker shot here are slim, so I'd rather just get it out of the sand and then back down the fairway and, ha- and then chip back up from the grass. Not not abandoned. If we're if we're partners, we're fearless. Okay, we go for the wins and we break that, windows. Uh, need anything else? Any where else? That's the case. Not when I'm looking at a twenty thousand dollar piece of glass. And I can't expense. I don't think my boss is going to let me put that on the expense report. Number three. What is your go to order at the halfway house? Uh, usually it's just very classic hot dog, mustard, and a, and a beer. You, I'm a big craft beer guy, but on the golf course, I'm much more of a domestic light and cold. Give me a good old fashioned Bud Light and I'm a pretty happy camper on the golf course. Number four, what is the trait you most deplore in your own golf game? Uh, my bunker game, bunker game. I mean, it is, it, call it trash would denigrate trash everywhere. Uh, my regular Saturday for some, the, those guys just, and especially whoever I'm partnered with that week is just like, would you please go take a bunker lesson, do something? Because uh, being in the bunker for me, I was mad when the USGA was considering allowing people to, to take a bunker as an unplayable lie. Um, and you could t- and take the two clubs drop out of there when they did not pass that rule as upset because I would have taken the one stroke penalty every time because give me a lob wedge off grass behind a bunker and I'm going to get it close. It's five out of 10 times out of the bunker. It's one out of 20 times that I might even find the green. Number five, what is the trait you most deplore in other golfers? I don't want to say deplore because it's going to sound mean to a lot of the uh, the moms out there. But, you know, when you go play with your mom or you know, somebody else who doesn't play a lot, but is a very positive person and and you get the ball in the air, but it's not a particularly great shot. But they're like, oh, good shot and clap their hands. And you're like, no, you know, I had sandwich in my hand, to, <laughs> you know, to the front hand and I. I hit it to the fringe on the back. Like, yes, it looked nice because the ball was in the air, but that's not actually a good shot for my skill level. That is a tough one. I no one's ever said that on the on the the show here, but that is a good answer because it's it's an in your right. It's not the floor, but it it's one of those things when you're a golfer and you you know it's not a good shot. What are we calling a good shot? It's not a good shot. Yeah, you're mad, you're mad. You you like it's all you can do not to just to throw the wedge back at your bag and you know, good shot comes ringing out and you're like, Oh, it wasn't a good shot, but thank you, but not a good shot. Love you. Yeah. Uh, number six, what is the quality you most look for in a playing partner? Um, someone who doesn't take it too serious. Um, you know, I, again, being a 15 handicap, like I'm going to hit some bad shots. And if I'm around someone who gets really upset about we're losing a match or losing a hole, um, I don't like that. I played, you know, I'm in our member guest two years ago and I'm in the lowest flight. So I'm in the lowest of eight flights. And it just so happens to go on into the last day, my partner and I are leading, but this is, it's the fun flight. It's guys who are out there just drinking a boatload of beer because it doesn't matter. We're the lowest flight and the member guests. Like we're here to have fun. The music player, the guy who's in third place walks up to me on the green and I can't, not kidding you. He goes, we're going to be on your ass all day. And he's dead serious. He's not joking. He's taking the lowest flight that serious. And I just laughed and I was like, well, one, I don't care. And two, I'm in the final group. You're not going to be behind me all day. You're going to be in front of me. And yeah, so I just don't need that in my, in my golfing life. I, I enjoy the competition, but I'm really out there to, to have fun. It's yeah. The hardos out there are always challenging. Number well, seven. You know, if you're in the, if you're in the scratch group, yeah. And you're a bunch of former collegiate guys, take it that seriously. I'm literally trying not to, you know, skull a, you know, skull a sand shot into somebody's head. And I'm worried about whether or not I'm going to spill my beer or not what the score is. We call it he- healthy competition here at New Club. Yeah. There's a border that cannot be crossed. 
Number seven, what words or phrases do you most overuse on the golf course? Not repeatable um, for public consumption. (laughs) Common answer. Number eight, (laughs) what golfing talent would you most want to have? Um, I hate to keep coming back to it, but yeah, bunker shots. The bunker shots are probably four or five shots around for me added to my score if I end up in the sand. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I like this next question for all of our equipment junkies. What is your most treasured golf possession? Um, you know, I'm trying to think, you know, I want to go through sub clubs so fast. I don't get a chance to have like, Hey, this is my most, you know, my most treasured item. Um, I switch iron set iron sets probably once every six weeks. Um, maybe you know, there's one that's kind of cool is I get to play at the Monterey Peninsula Country Club, which is not a place you know a, a benefit of my job is I got to go play there. So just my head cover from there is kind of cool in that nobody else kind of has one of those. So I think that's a pretty you know there are a lot of people that have them, but there's it's a rare item among the the head cover world. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, making the turn number 10 what's the one thing in your golf bag you should throw out there's probably right now at least three empty ball boxes in my bag and probably a couple wrappers from you know, whatever various kind bar or 19th 18th hole bar i had at the turn so i'm really bad about and my course doesn't have a ton of trash cans on it so i'm always jamming trash into the pocket of the bag and then i never clean it out so that's probably the one thing that needs to get chucked i call that the bruce litsky He's yeah. the guy that that never practiced and and uh they pull his bag out for like the tournament of champion at Century one year. And his caddy's like, What the hell is that smell? There's like a turkey sandwich and a banana that have been in there for four months. So you yeah. got maybe a little brute slitsky bag. <laughs> uh your favorite occupation in golf. Well, I'm gonna, I mean, this is gonna sound dumb, but you know, mine's not bad. You know, having spent 22 years doing this now, um, you know, I, uh, I started as an engineer, so I got to design product, which, you know, really kind of tickled the math brain. But now I'm in charge of our marketing and branding. So I get to name shafts, get to work on commercials, run social media. Um, I'm very fortunate to have had the career I've had. I think if it wasn't this, um, I was a greenskeeper for a while. But my dream job when I was in like middle school was to be a shorter to cook at a bowling alley. So maybe being the guy grilling hot dogs at the turn would be a, a good retirement job for me. Just slinging hot dogs and Bud Lights as people come through on a Muni somewhere. I love it. I love it. Number 12, have you ever asked another golfer for their autograph? If so, who? Uh, I, I'm not a big autograph guy, but I've asked for ones for like, you know, uh, from various players for things to hang in the office, like, you know, the Henrik Stenson one, um, our social media manager, um, is from uh from kansas so he wanted a justin thomas signed flag from the pga championship so you know we made that request but never been a big autograph guy because i'm extremely unorganized so like i could have a signed ken griffey jr upper deck rookie card and i wouldn't know where to find it in my house so (laughs) the valuable small things like that are not good for me to have because i would definitely just lose them number 13 what historical golf figure do you most relate to um I don't always love his behavior, but uh, maybe Sergio, because I get kind of fiery where I do stupid stuff. I've been known to break clubs. Also, just it's really, you know, I obviously grew up, you know, I'm the same age as Tiger. So as Tiger was turning 19 and starting to play professionally, I was, you know, watched golf then and was obviously got caught up in that. But I remember like one of my most distinct golf memories was the, I think it was a PGA championship where it was Tiger versus Sergio and Sergio was the young guy. 
And I've been out, you know, just 23, it was, you know, Sunday, I've been out day drinking all days. My buddies, we've been bar hopping, but we've been following the tournament as we bar hopped. And Sergio hit that shot where he ran up the hill and did like a little split kick jump to see where the ball went. And for some reason, that's always stuck with me as we're like, you know, like that kind of fun golf and that enjoyment in golf, you know, is something I still remember to this day. Exactly. The bar that I went to is long gone at University of Washington, but I know exactly where it was when I saw that. And so I think, and then again, knowing that, you know, I don't ever spit in the cup, but like I said, I've been known to snap a few wedges here and there. Uh, I thought you were going to say it's because you're a big Texas Longhorn fan. Cause we all know Sergio's <laughs> diehard Longhorn. Fan. You know, that's, uh, that's, that's Keenan who runs our social media. I, uh, he's the big Longhorn. I'm a, I'm a Husky fan, which has been a little rough the last few years, but. Yeah. Uh, number 14 is what is your greatest golf regret? I think maybe not taking it up sooner. You know, my dad is loves, has always loved the game. Um, tried to get me into it in middle school and high school, but I just didn't have the patience for it. Um, started playing in college where it was a lot more of a, like, it was just about drinking beer. We actually had a fifth bag that we lined with plastic that we'd fill with beer and ice. And whoever lost the last hole had to carry the beer bag on the next hole. That was the kind of golf we were playing. It wasn't really till, you know, really when I got to true temper that I started playing a little bit more. And then in the last probably 10 years that I've, I've really started taking it seriously. And then the last, two years or so where now like I have a Saturday game. I was actually very crestfallen this morning. I'd already set up our Saturday game with our usual group and then saw on the, uh, you know, on the club's Instagram that there's a tournament tomorrow and the course is closed. And I was like, Oh man, like it ruined, it's the highlight of my week. And right. that kind of ruined my weekend that I'm not going to get to play tomorrow. Number 15. Do you have a favorite golf book or golf movie? Movie. Um, it's, I mean, hard to beat Caddyshack. I mean, like, you know, that's uh, stranded on a desert island, five movies to to go with. It's Caddyshack, maybe Tin Cup. You know, I have a little bit of the, you know, hey, you can walk up to the hazard. You just hit it in and drop the ball and, and hit it from there. No, I can make this shot. I'm, I'm going to hit this one again. I, I struggle with that, especially, you know, like there's a difference when you're just playing with your buddies and it doesn't matter. But when you're playing in a tournament or a match with a partner and you don't really think and you just throw the ball down and hit another one before thinking about man, I could have walked up a hundred yards and dropped the ball up there rather than hit it from here. Um, so I relate to that mindset a little bit. Number 16 is a music question. Uh, it always needs a prelude. Are you, do you listen to music on the golf course? Uh, I do. And I don't when I, on my normal Saturday games, just cause we're walking. And so like having a Bluetooth speaker out there, if I'm in a cart, you know, I'll, I'll turn it on. It doesn't bother me at all that people are listening to music. Um, but I, it's not something I do regularly, but like, again, if I'm playing in a casual around my buddies, we bust out the speaker in a card at our club. It's funny, our club, like, you know, orientation, someone asked the music question and they're like, technically it's against the rules, but our cards all have speakers that aim into the center of the card. So you can't hear music more than 10 yards away from the card and the volume's controlled. So if you do want to listen to music, we please ask that you use the speakers in the card, not your own speaker. So this, this question is. We have fun with it and, uh, or will be turning each season into a playlist. If you had one song to listen to on the golf course for the rest of your life, what would it be? It's probably going to be something yacht rocky, like Christopher Cross. Like I've really in the last couple of years gotten into, into yacht rock. So maybe like Arthur's theme that if you get caught between the moon and New York city might be up there or ride like the wind. Yeah. My, uh, my girlfriend, uh doesn't love that because uh we started dating about two years ago 
And so I go over to her house and she's got her, you know, Spotify open and I would go over and put on Yacht Rock. So now when she's just working during the day and she puts on her, like, just play my favorite songs, it's full of a bunch of Yacht Rock stuff <laughs> that she can't stand. So uh, the old Spotify. Don't, don't, let your, don't let other people play things on your Spotify if you don't want it to mess up your favorites list. Oh, I'm, I'm very familiar with the Spotify takeover. My, my soon-to-be two-year-old daughter has just gobbled up my whole thing. So now the same thing occurs to me, but it's always like, Raffy family folk, uh, which I vibe with. I'm not against it, but yeah, yeah. You, you lose it. Um, number 17, here's a heady question. If you were to die and come back as a golfer or a golf thing, what or who would it be? The golfer or golf thing. I think it's not necessarily a specific golfer, but it's it's like the retired, yeah, like the guys like my dad who like they don't take it super seriously, but they hit the middle of, you know, they hit it down the middle of the fairway, 210 yards, and then they hit a little bunt three wood, 180 yards, and then make a good chip and a good putt and walk off with a four. And they're completely happy and content with it where, you know, they're not chasing speed anymore. It's not super serious that they're just able to enjoy the fact that they're out playing golf and it's not, you know, this thing that causes them as much aggravation as it does, um, as it does joy. I think that's the one thing you know, about golf where, you know, even I, I do that where I go out and play and, you know, I leave the golf course and I'm mad about something. I was like, man, I just got to play. And I'm fortunate that, you know, my company pays for, you know, the the membership I have, like, I just got to play one of the best courses in the County and have lunch with my buddies. And, you know, maybe I lost 10 bucks, but like $10 for a fantastic round of golf and a good lunch and five hours with my friends is a pretty good price to pay. So I think that's the one thing is just come back as someone who doesn't stress about the score they actually shot. That's a great answer. The, the life we live as golfers, that is the dream, I think. Uh, final question, number 18, we've made it. If you had a motto, maybe you do, what would it be? Um, Might be F it. Like, uh, there's a, <laughs> you know, the you know the, I guess the the longer friendly family friendly version of that is that my one of my bosses told me is better to ask for forgiveness than beg for permission, and so I think that that's a big one. You know, obviously there's times when that doesn't apply, but you know I I think a lot of times it's better than to sit there and worry about it. Is just do it and deal with the repercussions afterwards. Well, well, Don, thank you so much, man, for for being on the show today. I think we downloaded a considerable amount of information both on. Uh, golf shafts, true temper, and uh, and you you yourself as as a human and a golfer. So thank you, can't, and thanks for all the support of, of New Club. We can't be we look. We really look forward to being with you guys uh, this coming it's October in Bandon for our Founders Cup. Yeah, I think, you know everybody's coming to Bandon. You know, obviously I've been doing this a long time, but our steel golf shaft engineer who's been doing this for thirty years is going to be there. Um, my boss, David Walker. He's been everything from uh, he was, you know, there when founded a couple of companies. He's been a PGA Tour rep. He's got a ton of stories about being out on the PGA Tour and the Champions Tour. Bill Lang, uh, he's in the Club Fitting Hall of Fame. So there's going to be a wealth of uh, of resource there for anybody that's coming to ask questions or hear stories. Um, just let us know. We'll buy you a beer and talk your ear off. And then, you know, there are people here that have questions that are the older people that are still on Twitter. Um I'm at the true Don Brown. So you can find me there if you've got questions or any of our other social media. You know, we're very active on those places answering questions. So if you do have questions, feel free to hit us up there. That's awesome. Don, thanks. Enjoy the day. Yep. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Matt. See you in a couple of weeks. 
Today's episode of The Backdrop was brought to you by our partners at True Temper, the number one shaft in golf. A quick note to all new club members listening, reminder that although you may have missed out on this year's Founders Cup, we do have spots left for upcoming fixtures, both the 2022 winter meeting at Sea Island and our 2023 winter meeting moving to January next year at Talking Stick and Weekly Pop in Scottsdale, Arizona. Both winter meetings in December and January have registration available, so jump on New Clubs Golf Genius and see you at the winter meeting.